Mac Power Users, episode 698, The 80-20 Split with Malin Sunberg. Hello and welcome back. My name is Stephen Hackett and I'm joined as always by my friend and yours, Mr. David Sparks. Hey Stephen, how are you today? I am good. You know, it's a couple weeks after WBDC. You know, we're like back in real life. I've had some time to think about things. And uh, I know you've been busy with the betas and I'm I'm catching up with you. But yeah, it's good. This is a fun part of the year for Apple nerds. Yeah, it is. And, and this year in particular, because there's a new platform announced and it's fun to think about what that means for the future too. So there's a lot going on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And we are joined by a very special guest this week. Malin Sundberg is a developer. She got to spend time with the Vision Pro at WBDC, so we know we're going to talk about that. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Uh, I'm so excited to talk to you, too. Well, you've been on our list for a while, Melon, and we're really happy <laughs> to have you here. Before we get started, just a couple housekeeping things, though. Um, first of all, you know where you can buy the best calendar on the internet right now? You can <laughs> buy it at Kickstarter. Yeah, it's... <laughs> You like that? Pretty good, right? <laughs> that that felt really good. I appreciate yeah. that. Yeah, it is. It is the uh, Stephen Hackett has the 2024 Apple History Wall Calendar. It's for sale for a limited time through July 14th. You guys should go check it out. Definitely get the version where you also get the stickers. Um, these uh, these are very special stickers you send with these calendars, Stephen. I feel like uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to put them on things. They have to be calendar stick it worthy you know mm. that's always hard when you get stickers you almost want to have like a backup pair so that you can start using exactly. one pair yeah yeah i totally you buy agree two calendars and if you buy two calendars you would have a backup <laughs> pair yeah go crazy uh it was fun at wbc spotting people who had you know either relay fm stickers i saw some mpu stickers definitely saw a lot of stickers from the kickstarter so uh that's always fun uh thank you all everyone who has backed it uh, the project will go on Kickstarter through the morning of Friday, July 14th. It's got a couple more weeks, but uh, it's a great time to uh, to back it because this does complete the trilogy of the uh, Apple history calendars. And uh, that picture that I use in the uh, the cover of the video on the Kickstarter page, David Sparks was sitting across the table from me. I had my camera. I took a picture of the ceiling of the visitor center and got some looks and then quickly put my camera away. <laughs> I, you know, I recognized it, but I didn't realize I was part of that history. Now I feel especially powerful. I am, I'm in the room for the photograph. <laughs> look out, look out. And then on more power users today, um, we talked on more power users at Apple campus about me switching my MacBook pro to a, a Mac studio. I said, I would not make any decisions while in the reality distortion field that is Cupertino. I got home, I made a decision, and now I'm speaking to you. This is the very first episode of MPU on my brand new Mac Studio. So we'll talk about that. Yeah. yeah. New hardware. Always fun. <laughs> Always fun. Well, let's get started uh, getting to know Malin a little bit better. We we know you as an app developer. Uh, you are part of an uh, indie design development shop. I want to get to that in a little bit. Yeah. But first, tell us a little bit about your background and how you kind of got into this world. Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm always, always not sure like how far back to go. But um, <laughs> yeah, background like in terms of uh, who I am, I'm, I am in, um, if you pick up on an accent, I'm originally from Sweden. Um, 
I'm in Vancouver, Canada right now. Um, and before before moving to Canada, I also lived in Australia. So I, uh, I moved a bit all over the place. Yeah. Um, That's about as yeah. far as you can go, I think. I'm <laughs> not like Sweden, Australia. <laughs> it's like the, 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 the longest way to move to the West Coast of the US, like, <laughs> of, of, the, of North America, I guess, <laughs> taking the long way around. Um, but yeah, I, uh, I think... Um, I have been working as an iOS developer since probably uh, 2015, I believe. Um, all right, so um, just some background on how I got into Apple and development. Um, so I, uh, growing up, I was I used computers, but I wasn't really feeling like I was very into technology growing up. I was very into sort of the arts and creative things and the creative fields in general. Um, but as I grew up in the 90s and early 2000s, I was mostly using uh, Windows computers and I used computers like in my schoolwork and those type of things. But it always felt like something that I used uh, for like for doing my work that I needed to do as part of part of school and those things. Um so I never really, I didn't feel, like fall in love with computers at an early age, like I think many people, many developers do. Um, but then um, I think when I was in my final year of high school, uh, that's when I actually uh, really got into the Mac. So I met my partner, Kai, uh, who I'm working with now at Triple Glass Studios, so that, that I will talk a bit about later. Um, so I met him and he had a Mac, uh, I think he had a MacBook Air, um, and he was using Snow Leopard, and I, uh, I think that's when I actually when it really clicked for me, like how cool technology can be, and like how intuitive computers can be. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, like actually being exposed like the Apple ecosystem for the first time there, that really got me hooked on it. And then I was, I, I realized like, okay, a computer is not just um, this this technical thing that you get your work done it's something uh, that has this beautiful interface and that it really felt welcoming and so familiar somehow I think um, the fact that I was so into uh, the design aspect and like the arts aspect growing up I think having a software that was just really intuitive made me very excited to start using using technology once I started uh, once I saw his first Mac uh, and then from there it sort of spiraled and I uh, started getting very into the Apple ecosystem. I got my first Mac, uh, my MacBook Pro, which was uh, back uh, running Lion. Um, And then from there, I was sort of trying to immerse myself in tech. I listened to a lot of tech podcasts. I started uh, getting the iPhone on the day one. And Hmm. back then, I lived in Sweden. So the iPhone wasn't available on day one. So I even flew over to Germany with Kai, who's originally from Germany. We flew over to get the iPhone on day one. And then... Yeah, it sort of uh, just kept on going from there. Yeah, you jumped right in, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think, um, so that was sort of like from a technical perspective, I felt uh, like, wow, this is this is amazing. There's so many uh, so many cool products, so many, uh, like I, I just really liked sort of that Apple world from a design perspective. Mm-hmm. I think that really does bring some people in because like you think of a computer as a cold piece of technology, but there's a mm-hmm. certain amount of whimsy and humanness, I guess, for lack of a better word, to the Apple uh, design and system. And if you probably yeah. get your hands in there and you're like, oh, wait, I can change the way this works with other humans. And suddenly that feels very empowering. 
I know yeah. the first time I realized I could write code and make something happen on the screen, I felt like I could rule the world. It was amazing. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think um, it, it did still take me a bit, a few more years till I started getting into software development. But it was the same when I when I started developing that I, it really clicked that it's not about it's not just about the technical side, although now I'm super interested in that part too, but it is more about um, creating something for people to use and being able to actually um, make something that's intuitive, create something uh, out of nothing that people feel comfortable using and that people um, sort of feel empowered uh, empowered by and that just enriches their experience. So how do you go from that interest into, you know, making a living at it? Yeah. Um, so at that point, I I knew I was gonna. I was I was starting to think of um, studying at university um, when I when I finished high school, and I wasn't really sure what I wanted to study. And I am not really from a family that is um, very like has been uh, studying at university. It's I'm, I'm not from an academic family. Um, so for me, like university and that side of education was very new to me. Um, but I think I, um, I like at the same same time when meeting my partner, I started feeling like, okay, um, I, he he was very much motivating me that I should start thinking of like uh, actually taking courses, going uh, going and studying on that level. Um, so when I started studying at university, I just wanted to get started and see if that was the path for me. Um, so I actually started out studying sociology um, and psychology, and I studied that uh, back in Sweden when I first lived there. Um, but then, <laughs> living in Sweden, um, we sort of started getting fed up on the cold. And I'll, I'll get to the to the software development side; it it will get there. But basically, what happened was that we we were studying up very high up north in Sweden. I studied psychology, uh, sorry, sociology and psychology. Um, at that point and I we, we just were at this university where we had classes midday and that was happening to be the only time when it was also sunshine um, because high up north in Sweden it's in the winter you might have like one hour of sun every day yeah. so we didn't see the sun well, uh, I, I, first of all I, I know that's not the topic today mm. I know that intellectually but I've never experienced it and I'm yeah. not sure how I would handle it <laughs> it it felt really weird and like everything I think we, we lived we, we, we lived high uh, like in that city for a year but it felt like the longest winter <laughs> uh, um, so then we got uh, decided okay we should change this we should move to Australia as you do, you go for the other extreme. So we ended up uh, moving to Australia. And then I was able to take a, a then at university in Australia, it works similar to colleges in, um, in the US that you have general electives and you don't have as much of a rigid system as you do back in Sweden. So then I started realizing that I can explore other areas. And then I took one course in computer science and I realized like I had no idea really what what programming or computer science was about. Uh, it felt very um, foreign to me. But then when I started taking that course, I realized, wow, this is like this is so intuitive. Again, this is a lot about logical thinking and problem solving and puzzle solving. And I felt like I also got to scratch that sort of creative itch that I had because the problem solving aspect is very similar to a creative process. Um, so then I, when I took that one 
unit in computer science, I again got got hooked and I started to fully sort of immerse myself in that. I again felt like I, I was a little bit delayed to it. So I was thinking, okay, I should do as much programming as I can. I should learn as much about tech as I can. Um, so yeah, I spent a lot of my uh, free time and then the semester after I ended up enrolling in computer science units and uh, yeah, then I ended up studying computer science instead. Um, and yeah, that's pretty much how I got into the programming programming side of it. And then in 2014, when Swift was announced, I had already I had already started feeling like before I knew that I want to learn Apple platform development at some point. Um, but I didn't I hadn't really gotten started with that. But then as soon as Swift was announced, I was like, okay, this is the perfect time to do it. This is it will be fun to sort of be part of the journey and see this language evolve and um, really start learning it when everyone else is learning it. I felt like I was uh, able to sort of catch up and yeah, really get get on board with that. And also looking at the language, like Swift felt so, it was such a nice language to learn. Um, I did end up having to learn Objective-C afterwards for my first job. And in comparison, it's... Uh, Objective C is a, it's it's okay, but it's a lot less intuitive if you mm-hmm. if you're reading it. Yeah. Yeah, and in those in those early days, you really had to to fall back to Objective C, I think much more often than you do now. Yeah, yeah. And I think also in terms of just finding learning material or just if you if you're dealing with a problem in general, because you still and both Swift and Objective C used UI kit. So if you had a UI kit problem, and you search on Stack Overflow, you're most likely going to have an Objective-C answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so you, it was very beneficial to actually start being able to read Objective-C and understand that. Um, but yeah, then um, so yeah, then I then I then I continued from there and have done iOS development and moved over to macOS development and yeah, sort of all around Apple platform development now. Well, you really did come in at the perfect time. Because you know you're you're kind of growing into the platform as Apple does, which is kind of perfect, right? Because you're at the beginning of hopefully a long lifespan of of this uh, Swift UI and what they're developing. But this also just yeah. reminds me, I think, how important it is that we find ways to get kids in school and like high school even doing some basic coding because you just stumbled into it and now yeah. you're this really gifted gifted developer if we if you hadn't stumbled into it we never would have got that you know yeah. society in general would have lost yeah. the great stuff you're bringing i, I do feel like this is something we need to do a better job of with with younger folks yeah I, I i do agree i think now in hindsight like if i wouldn't have it like you hear especially if you don't know anyone who works in tech i think you hear what at least back then i heard what, about people working as developers or working with computers, like no one really like explained what that was. So yeah, just taking a like at least having some exposure to it, you can really realize like, wait, this is very different. From, like the, you sort of form your own opinion on what programming is at that point. Um, so yeah, that's I think I agree. I think that's super helpful. Now, when did Triple Glaze Studios come along? Yeah, so we started Triple Glaze. Kaya and I started Triple Glaze in um, June of 2019 and we started on Canada Canada Day actually so it's pretty funny it was our Canadian company started uh, on Canada Day 
Um, and yeah, we, we sort of started because we wanted to be able to work on a lot of different things. Uh, so after working across a few different type of apps, we fe- I felt like I wanted to start working on my own apps as well as helping others and work on work on client projects and have the ability to sort of be flexible in working on a multitude of, of apps and both development and design um, as part of that. And I think that's one of the things that makes you unique is that you do client work, but you also develop your own stuff, which I feel like kind of gives you a lot of insight into the app business in general and trends and, and what people are doing these days. Yeah, yeah. I, I do think it's it's really fun to be able to work across both of those. Um, I It's always a little bit of a, a balancing act, but what I love about it is that um, there's so many new, so many different areas that can use technology and i think working with client client apps uh, let me sort of work across a lot of different things uh so i think that's super that's really fun um to just learn a lot about other other sort of industries while i'm working um while i'm continuing to like build app and and do that side this episode of the mac power users is brought to you by one password Go to onepasswordcom mpu to get 20% off today and get started protecting yourself and your family with your password security. Now, one of the nice things about 1Password is that they scale, and boy, do they scale. They've got over 100,000 businesses using their service, and they range from small businesses up to enterprise-level, you know, big multinational corporations. So they've got you covered on your business side, they've also got you covered on the personal side, whether you just need a 1Password account for yourself or yourself and your family, they've got that too. And up and down that stack, you get really great password and internet security protection. I met these guys very early in their journey. And the thing that always stood out to me with 1Password is these folks really, really care about internet security. They spend a bunch of time trying to figure out how the bad guys are getting at you, and then they find ways to protect it. And it's so much more than just passwords. They do, uh, you know, the secure vault on your device. They monitor the websites you work with and let you know if they've been hacked. So there's just so many different ways 1Password has got your back. And uh, like I said, whether you need it for yourself or your multinational corporation or anything in between, they've got you covered. Just recently, I heard from a family friend that got hacked and they didn't really have a password solution. They had the thing where you write stuff down on sticky notes and that didn't work, didn't protect them. They had a big problem because of it. And I said, okay, come over to the house. I'm going to teach you one password. And to tell you the truth, I'm not someone who zealously advocates for applications to friends and family. I figure they're going to do what they're going to do. But with one password, I always do help people get started. And him and his wife are now very happy. They've got secure and unique passwords on every website. And they're not going to have that problem again because they signed up for one password. But don't just take my word for it. Go check it out. You can try 1Password for free. Go to onepassword.com slash MPU. That URL, one more time, onepassword.com slash MPU. Uh, you get to try it for free. If you decide to sign up, you get 20% off. And you can start protecting your family, yourself, your company, your multinational corporation that you've built out of your garage. You can do all of that with 1Password. So go check it out. And our thanks to 1Password for all of their support of the Mac Power users. So let's switch gears a little bit and talk about some of your your Apple gear. You mentioned getting in back in the Snow Leopard days, the Lion days, 
and yeah. uh, <laughs> getting on an airplane to buy an iPhone on day one, which is hilarious to me. <laughs> uh, what are you running these days? At the moment, I'm using a MacBook Pro uh, with M Pro chip, and it's a 14 inch uh, from 2021. And it's was sort of meant to be a temporary computer. Um, I was an iMac user for a long time, and I just really loved sort of the one all in one uh, aspect of it. And I I was very very much expecting that I would go back to buying an iMac, um, but I was hoping that Apple would release a 27 inch yeah. uh, with yeah. with the M chip series M series chips, but. That hasn't happened. So uh, that, uh, what I did was to, I bought this Mac because I, I needed a, a better computer when traveling and I wanted something portable. So I ended up going with pretty much, I think I went baseline uh, with this MacBook Pro. So I have 16 gigs of RAM, 500 gigs of uh, memory um, of storage. And then I thought I will only use it temporarily. But then when, I, when, when that Mac never came around, I realized that this is like so much faster than my 2017 iMac. It did not make sense for me to continue using that one. So I sort of upgraded it to be my primary computer. And I'm still, I feel a little bit regret that I went with that 16 gigs of RAM, but it works out. It's, it's, still, it's still a really good computer to use on a daily basis. Where do you find the RAM constraint hurts you? Because I just bought a computer and I chose 32 instead of 64. And I've already got listeners writing me telling me what a mistake that was. But yeah. <laughs> I, I, I feel like with the RAM on the Apple Silicon, it's a little bit of a different story than the historical RAM that was separated from the processor. But with 16, you mm-hmm. know, where are you hitting the problems with that? Um, I found, I think when I, because I work across like the entire app, I often might be working on something that, I just tend to have a lot of things open and I might work sure. on design things and development at the same time. And then I, I start to notice that, um, like I start to see the swap. It's nothing that I feel like I notice on a daily basis, but I start to see that memory is being swapped. And then, um, so I do think I clearly use more than the 16. Um, so that's really what it comes down to just when I'm using it a lot. But I think you're right. Like it doesn't have, uh, as big of an impact as, it, as it, like swap memory being swapped used to really feel like it slowed it down and now I think it's uh, it's something I notice in certain tasks when I'm uh, in the middle of doing multiple things but not as bad as it has been in previous years at all yeah I I because I had a a MacBook Air the the first M1 and that had 16 and that was definitely having memory issues occasionally i would mm-hmm. have problems with it i mean i think you're right i mean i think 16 may not be enough for a lot of people i'm just trying to figure out if that's true when you get to the upper tiers because i think um it is you know there is a safe amount with currently running systems maybe uh, more ram gets you more future-proof stuff i think maybe ultimately but but i do think that it's not the same comparison that it was mm-hmm. in the intel days no, no, I agree. And I, I think the thing with the future-proofing, I, I hear a lot of, I hear that argument often that you want to future-proof, but I think it depends a lot on like who you are as a user. If, you, yeah. if you're inclined to upgrade more often, uh, then I think future-proofing might not be that 
necessary. It's a justification. It is. You yeah. know, I mean, but there there are people, we have listeners that have Macs that are like 10 years old and running them. And yeah. for the, a person like that, I think future-proofing is a thing. But yeah. Yeah. for someone like me and you, probably not <laughs> as much. No, I think for us, it might be more of an experience. Definitely not Steven. Definitely not Steven. <laughs> How much RAM is in your, uh, your laptop, Steven? I think it's 32. Yeah, 32. Yeah. Yes, that's on the Mac side. Um, and now I'm also thinking, if Apple would release an M2 iMac that is 27-inch, I I don't feel like I would need it. I think I've been converted now to having having a laptop only as my as my as my primary machine. That's what they wanted. They yeah. wanted you to get that, and then now they want you to buy a Mac Studio display, and you're good. <laughs> yeah, on the on the phone side, I again I tend to tend to upgrade that every year i found like especially for a while there when the camera array kept on improving so much i really uh, i take a lot of photos so i wanted to continue upgrading and it, you know i don't i don't buy i'm not into like fancy jewelries or watches so i feel like buying an iphone and upgrading and being like considering that that's part of my my job as well i tend to upgrade every year um so yeah, we we could be such good friends, man. <laughs> I'm just saying that. Just, just saying that. Yeah, <laughs> we can just convince each other of why I, we should why we should thing. upgrade. I, yeah. I don't buy fancy cars. Man, I want a good computer. I want a good phone. I get it. <laughs> yeah, so that's that's the iPhone 14 Pro. Uh, and on the iPad side, I don't really. I. I would like to use iPads more, but I haven't found that many use cases for it in my setup. Uh, so I'm still sitting around with an iPad Pro uh, from 2016, I believe. The first, the 9, 9.7 Pro, um, the first one that supported the Apple Pencil. When's the last time you used it and what was it for? <laughs> I use it more lately for testing. Uh, I don't feel like that. That's not that really, really using count, it. it, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, but I have started creating more um, artwork lately, um, and like promo art for for our apps. So I started using it a lot more for that, um, and I am using Procreate quite a lot. And I just found that to be a really nice use case for the iPad. It hasn't felt like I used it enough. Um, like in previous years, I haven't felt like I use Procreate enough or I drew enough for me to upgrade on a yearly basis or on a more frequent basis. But now I feel like uh, last time I used it and I started creating uh, creating more illustrations and those things, I did feel like it was very, very limited and very slow. So I think this is probably going to be the year that I'm upgrading because I am planning on uh, actually making more things um, with it for the upcoming year. But but that's the thing, right? I mean, it's a seven-year-old iPad, and you want to start doing some art, and it's still up to the task. Granted, it's yeah. not as good and doesn't have the refresh rate as the modern ones, or it probably do, that's probably the one with the old Apple Pencil too. But you can still yeah. get by with it, and I, totally. I feel like yeah, yeah, I feel like that's part of the problem that Apple faces with the iPad mm-hmm. is that once you get one, it's probably good enough for a long time. Mm-hmm. I, I secretly think that might be a problem with Apple Silicon Max, <laughs> honestly, because it's the same uh-huh. thing. It's like everything's on a chip. It's less likely to break. It's really fast. It doesn't need a lot of RAM. Suddenly people are, you know, we hear from 10 year Mac users now with Intel machines. I think it's going to be even more, more common with people that uh, buy the Apple Silicon stuff. Yeah. 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 No, I think that's, that's a very, 
good point. Um, and I think it's, it's, it's great. Like they are, especially like with iPad, they have kept on supporting and um, supporting it so long. And uh, the latest, uh, I think this one still run. This one is able to run iOS 16. I think they are dropping support for iOS 17. But I mean, it's still, it's still been around for a long time. Well, Stephen te- teased earlier that you got to try out that new Apple wearable that you strapped to your face, mm, which we yes. want to talk about later. Yeah. But, but what about the wearable that you strapped to your wrist? Yeah. Are you an Apple Watch person? I am. I am. Um, I am currently using Series Four, Series Five. Sorry, um, it's. I'm a little bit surprised that I haven't upgraded because. I again I try to I tend to upgrade like especially my phone quite often and I used to upgrade my watch very frequently for the first five generations um but I found that like from that series five it hasn't been that big improvements that mm-hmm. I've really been wanting to use um so I sort of stuck with it but now it is um let's say on watches nine it started feeling pretty slow and I it was it was a good stress test for uh, our Swift UI charts that we've been that we've been building for for our own apps because I noticed like displaying charts on a watch had a big performance hit. So um, in general, I think I wanna I wanna upgrade this year to a new watch. Yeah, I mean they've used the same system on a chip. I think from the six forward. So if you go from the five to you know whatever mm-hmm. number we're on this year, mm-hmm. you you've you've probably <laughs> picked a good time to to do yeah. it. Um, I think where yeah. most people run into, you know, upgrading an Apple Watch maybe before they plan to is actually battery life. You know, I think you may be mm-hmm. a, a little unique in that it's uh, development uh, related, but how yeah. is the battery life on that thing? I mean, the, honestly, the battery life is really bad on mine right now. Um, I have gotten a, I I'm, I'm able to, there's a notification that you get through if you go to the Apple Watch app on your phone, there's this battery health section, and mm-hmm. you can see, and I think it's under the threshold where they technically would replace the battery. Um, so I should get a battery replacement and see how much of that has an impact. And I'm usually reselling my devices, so I'm thinking if, before doing that, I should definitely get that replaced. Um, but now I think the battery health is, I think it's about the 70% capacity or something, and I noticed that, that, like, depending on how active my day is, I think it's 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 gonna shut down either between between eight p.m. and twelve twelve a.m. Mm. Uh, and then I'm, I'm losing battery. Well, I'll tell you that the Apple Watch Ultra has ruined me because the battery is so good on that thing. You sleep in it, you wear yeah. it, whatever. And- how I was curious about that because I I found that sometimes if devices last like if they have a longer battery life than a day i tend to forget to charge them because you you're not reminded in the same way because i wear it when i sleep so i'm kind of used to like charging it when i shower and then i keep a little charger at my desk and if i know i'm gonna be like digging in on something at my desk for an hour i'll just put it on so i just put it on a charger now and then and it keeps it enough but one thing i really hope this year is they make an apple watch ultra in a smaller size because i know several folks with smaller wrists that really want an ultra but the the one they currently sell is just so big Mm -hmm. for them yeah 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 i think for me (laughs) the the watch would be like 
it looks almost like it's wider than my wrist. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> no, right. I don't feel like my wrists look very thin with anything else on, but when I wear that one, it's like <laughs> it looks like I stole someone's watch. Like you're still your dad's watch. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Five years old. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. So that's the that's the watch that's secure and wearable. Um. I do have some like accessory non-Apple products uh, as well. I use a lot of ergonomic uh, keyboards and um, ergonomic an ergonomic mouse. And then I have some other some other fun products if you're curious. Oh yeah, totally. We we love ergonomic keyboards. That's a it's a frequent <laughs> discussion here. Which one have you landed on? I, I landed on the Logitech Ergo, the wireless split keyboard. Yeah. Um, it's it's not split in like the way that many other ergonomic keyboards are, where you can actually separate them. But I do really like sort of the it has like a waveform, and it's very comfortable. Um, and I had a lot of RSI issues, I think in twenty 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 or twenty twenty one, and I sort of end up upgrading my whole setup and my share. And I have the Logi Pro, Lo, uh, Logitech um, MX Vertical ergonomical mouse as well. And since then, honestly, I haven't had any any problems. This sounds like a plug, but no, uh, it isn't. <laughs> I, I want to talk about that one because I don't know that we've ever talked about it. It's a super interesting mouse. It, like mm-hmm. it's like um, uh, it's like a mouse that's tilted up on its side, right? I guess that's the way. Yeah, exactly. So it's sort of it's a little bit like if you would shake someone's hand, I guess, but uh, slightly slightly more tilted um, to the left. It's very natural of a position. It took a little bit of time because you're you sort of want your hand to hover a bit more. You don't lean on the table in the same way. So that took a little bit of time to get used to. But now it's like so. I don't feel like I want to go back to a regular mouse now. Has that helped with your RSI? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it's um, like that. I mean. <laughs> I obviously, I mean, you shouldn't change. I, I changed all variables at once, uh, both the keyboard and uh, and the mouse around the same time. So I think the keyboard does the biggest, uh, has the biggest improvement um, because that's what I use the most. But I think in terms of like the mouse, it just feels like there's a lot more. I think I let, the way this mouse works is that I, I don't cut any of my blood flow off when I'm yeah. holding the mouse. So I think that helps a lot as well. I love how you you talk like a developer. You said you changed many variables at once. <laughs> <laughs> but the, uh, the, the now do you um, like do you do a lot of like programming on like use special buttons on the mouse and, and the keyboard? I mean, one of the downsides of going to an ergonomic keyboard a lot of times is mm-hmm. you lose some of the custom features like Touch ID or other things that people really dig on their keyboards. Uh, was that a problem yeah. for you? I've been pretty lucky with how well Watch Unlock works for me. I know my partner, he he's um, he has not had any luck with his watch. He just upgraded his keyboard actually to have a Touch ID because he felt like he was done waiting for like 30 seconds. And uh, he, sometimes it, like his, his wireless unlock with the watch just didn't work. So he just wanted to upgrade that. But for me, I, I feel like I don't... As long as my watch has battery... It works really well. I don't look at my <laughs> Mac. <laughs> I, I wish Apple would make like a Touch ID unit. I know, like just a Touch ID button. 
or even build it like into a trackpad or something. Cause mm-hmm. there's a lot of people who need ergonomic keyboards or, you know, it's like mm-hmm. Terpstra and that ultimate hacking keyboard thing he does. There's people that have like mm-hmm. real good reasons to use non Apple mm-hmm. keyboards, but that touch ID, man, that, it, that's yeah. what always pulls me in. I mean, I've tried yeah. other keyboards and I always end up back with the Apple one because of the touch ID button. I think one thing that makes me less inclined to get touch ID is that my fingerprints are not very, like, they, they, it doesn't really work for me. Oh, I haven't no. heard many people have that problem, but my fingerprints are just really weak. <laughs> uh, so when I had a phone with a Touch ID, I used to have to rescan it like once every two months or something mm. um, for it to detect it. So I'm, I know many people dislike the Face ID to unlock versus uh, fingerprint ID, and but I, for me, it's so much better. But you would make an excellent cat burglar. Because nobody would ever be able to get your fingerprints. I know, I know. Is that what people keep on telling me? Yeah, I'm just saying, you know, plan B, right? You know? I mean, (laughs) some people have gone through the trouble. Our friend Quinn uh, at Snazzy Labs did a video on it of getting Mm -hmm. a Touch ID keyboard and, like, taking it apart and scooping out all the Touch ID guts and putting them in a 3D printed case, right? Like, Mike Hurley does this (laughs) as well because he's a big fancy keyboard boy, but... Uh, I do think that there's, I mean, like, put it in a trackpad. It, it seems like such an obvious mm-hmm. thing. And, and it can be, just like the regular Touch ID keyboard, it can just be an additional, more expensive, Apple loves that, more expensive yeah. option, right? It's like, I don't need a trackpad with Touch ID because I use the Touch ID keyboard. But there are a lot of people in your position who use a third-party keyboard either because of ergonomic concerns or mm-hmm. aesthetics, right? Or they're just into the keyboard hobby. It, mm-hmm. it really... Mm-hmm. It seems a bit silly to me. I mean, especially when you're selling, you know, the best desktop Macs you've ever sold, right? Uh, with mm-hmm. a laptop, you know, like mine, I use it open next to my suit display. I could reach up and hit that Touch ID button. But most people, if they're using a laptop as a desktop, it's in clamshell mode or mm-hmm. they have a Mac mini or something. So, yeah, get on it, Apple. That's what we're saying. <laughs> yeah, and I do get that the Apple Watch can be the solution, right? If you yeah. wear the Apple Watch, uh, because it does unlock things, but then you got to wear an Apple Watch. And yes. it isn't yeah. as good of a solution because like, when you go to buy something, it's so much easier to just tap the Touch ID button and mm-hmm. uh, uh, authenticate on your watch. But yeah. Well, uh, so you've got the ergonomic keyboard, ergonomic mouse. Are you a trackpad user or you just use the mouse? And um, sometimes. It depends on the task. Um when I use something like Affinity Designer, and I'm especially when I'm working with vector graphics, I tend to use the use the trackpad. So I always have it nearby. Um, but yeah, I it's not. I what I, one thing I really like about the Logitech as well, or with the with the mouse in general, is the side button shortcut. So it has this nice that I can like go back and forth in whatever window I was in. So if I'm in Safari and I want to go back to a previous page. Uh, I have dedicated back and forth button for those. Yeah. So I think that also makes me like inclined to use it as much as as much as I do. That makes sense. And you, I, I'm assuming you have some sort of monitor too. You plug it into if you're using yeah. a keyboard. Yeah, I do. It's not super exciting of a monitor. It's a it's a Philips 4K uh, okay. LCD monitor. Um, I couldn't justify buying. Uh, uh, I really, yeah, the, the thing Mac is that studio. I, yeah, the Max Studio, yeah. I was thinking of it, but I was still holding, I think when I got this lap, this monitor, I was still expecting that M127 inch to come out. So, and I thought that I would upgrade. 
now I'm not sure what I would buy if I have if I get a new one. I don't feel like my yeah, I I think it will be an interesting problem. Like if I if I move apartment and I decide to buy a new one, I don't really know what to get at this point. This episode of MPU is made possible by our friends over at Squarespace. If you have a website you need to build, whether for work or a side project, maybe a civic organization, or maybe you're putting together a resume or a blog or a podcast, Squarespace is the perfect place for all those sorts of projects. With Squarespace, you can stand out with a beautiful website, you can build your brand, you can grow your business online. Squarespace has you covered no matter what you need to do because they have all of these tools in one place. You can use insights to grow your business. If you ever wondered where site visits and sales are coming from and which channels are most effective, you can analyze all of that in Squarespace. Once you have that data, you can improve your website and build a marketing strategy based on your top keywords or most popular content. And if you want to send email campaigns to get visitors on the road to becoming customers, you can do that with Squarespace as well. Just start with an email template and customize it by applying your brand ingredients like colors and logos, plus the built-in analytics of Squarespace measure the impact of every send. I love building with Squarespace because it is really easy to get something up and running, but it's also easy to continually improve it and modify your site over time. Because chances are the reason you built your website today, it's going to evolve. It's going to change. You're going to take on new projects. You're going to hire new people. Maybe your organization is going to take on new work. And you need your, your website to evolve and change with you. A Squarespace that's really easy to do. Head on over to squarespace.com MPU for a free trial with no credit card required. And when you're ready to launch, use the offer code MPU to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or a domain name. Once again, that's squarespace.com MPU and the code MPU to get 10% off your first purchase and to show your support for Mac power users. Our thanks to Squarespace for the support of this show and RelayFM. Okay, Malin, you have not only been a developer, you've released some apps. Let's talk about some of the apps you've got out there. Uh, let's start with Orbit. Tell us about that app. Yeah, for sure. Um, so Orbit is a time tracking and invoicing app. And it's it's a, it's an app that we sort of made out of something that we needed, my partner and I. So once we started working, once we started creating Triple Studios and started working on client projects, um, we needed a good time tracking app um, and we had been trying a lot of them for other projects because we did freelance work back in Australia and we, we had used some some options but we hadn't found anything that felt perfect for our need especially to be able to like track time and invoice in one um, and have native apps on all platforms Um so I think a big thing for us was that we wanted to make something for the Mac, and a big feature, we, uh, a core feature we wanted was that you should be able to, the app should be able to detect if you step away from the computer, and then once you're back, it should, uh, it asks you if you wanna remove the time that you were away from the keyboard. Uh, and some people might want to, other people might have gone for a meeting, so they want to keep the time, but we wanted to be able to like offer that. Um, and there weren't many, we couldn't find any apps that did exactly that uh 
So we, we thought, how hard so can it be? One. Yeah, how hard <laughs> can it be? Um, and we figured that was also in 2019. This was the perfect time when the first version of SwiftUI came out. And Apple had said that like you can use this on all platforms. And both Kai and I, we've been working as iOS developers for since 2015. And we, we know iOS, we know UIKit, but we hadn't started working on AppKit. Um, but we thought, hey, it's the perfect opportunity. We can start using SwiftUI for macOS development to make to make Orbit. And yeah, that's sort of how it gets started. So we we battled a bit with SwiftUI. Uh, for people who don't know, uh, SwiftUI in the early days, it was a bit limited. But I think the bigger problem was that there wasn't much documentation in the special not on, for macOS. But one thing I really liked about our approach is that the fact that we took learned SwiftUI for the Mac, and which was a platform that we didn't really know, uh, we, didn't, we couldn't fall back to AppKit at that point. If we sure. would have learned SwiftUI for iOS, I think it would have been a lot, we would have been a lot more inclined to just, uh, if we run into a problem or if there's something that doesn't work, we sort of fall back and use uh, UIKit instead. But I think this was actually a really good way for us to sort of push through it and persevere. Uh, that's not to say that there weren't any headaches along the way, but that's... Uh, we we got there in the end, and we we released the Mac app in 2020. Um, I think we started like really working on on the Mac app in January 2020. Before that, we done some sort of exploration and experimenting with SwiftUI to see if that was what we want to go with. Uh, and then we sort of committed to that early 2020, and then released it like, a few weeks before WWDC 2020. Well, I'll tell you, I used to have a job where I did send invoices out every month mm-hmm. based on time and. This app is beautiful. I wish I had known about it. I was using a <laughs> crappy web service when I did it. And now uh, I'm looking at this going, wow, oh. this is really nice. But I don't <laughs> do you. that anymore. So uh, I'm not a customer anymore. But, but you know, it is nice. I, I yeah. think you did scratch an itch because uh, I was in the market looking for something like this, a, a mm-hmm. native experience that takes advantage of all the cool stuff Apple gives us. Because all these web services, they really don't take advantage of the Apple user yeah. interface and hardware like you have a you have ability to enter time on your watch and you've mm-hmm. got widgets and i'm just looking at the website and yeah yeah that's really cool another no, thing exactly. you, another thing you do that i think is amazing and just i wish all developers did this is you post a, tr- a public trello board where you show what you're working on for the app yeah. so people who are interested in the app can say like if you're in the app and you're like well when are they going to add this mm-hmm. feature it actually tells you where it fits in your timeline. And I, I think that's cool. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you. And I think a, a big reason we did that was because we knew when we first released it, because uh, we're a team of two, um, we had to sort of choose what we could focus on in the beginning um, of, of when we released the app. And I think many people are very, they need a specific app for their particular use case when it comes to time tracking. I think it's sort of this, not really opinionated app, but it's an app, um, like p- people have so many different use cases. And if it doesn't do this one thing, let's say uh, we have in, I'm in Canada and in Quebec, there's this thing called compound tax, um, which is a very, like, it's a different way of applying taxes. And some people might specifically need that. And if the app doesn't do that, then it's something they can't use. Or if mm-hmm. the app doesn't import from CSVs, it's something they can't, they can't use. So that's what we felt like, okay, if there are certain things that people are looking for that we don't have uh, at this stage, let's at least put it in, like, let's put it public so that people know where it sits on our roadmap. Because there might also be some people who are uh, looking for a native Windows 
app. And that's nothing that, like, in the foreseeable future, we're not going to build that. So maybe it doesn't make sense for them to subscribe to Orbit and be frustrated that the thing that they want isn't there. So that's why I thought, like, let's just be transparent and tell people what, mm-hmm. what we're up to. Another thing that you have to contend with that a lot of indie developers don't is that people are going to want to use this app with a team. And you have, you have a whole page, you call it crew plans. All of y'all's uh, language is mm-hmm. so good. Down to the example <laughs> names on the team. It's like jo- jokes on Johnny a- a- Appleseed. <laughs> Just very good. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, funny thing with that is that, um, so our, our sample user is uh, Jane. I think it's Jane Appleseed. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have... Uh, we were fortunate to be asked by Apple to be one of the demo apps uh, on all of the Macs and the Apple stores and the partner oh, wow. stores, which is which is uh, amazing. It's something that like I didn't really think it wasn't really on my bucket list of like Apple achievements. But when they asked for that, I was like, wow, this is amazing. Uh, so it's actually like worldwide on all Macs. But for us to do that, we we needed to have a sample user account. Um, and we already had this thing called uh, tourist mode, where you basically you're basically a space tourist. You enter enter this mode where you can see what the app would look like if you've been using it for a few months. Um, and then we had the sample company. And when we submitted this to Apple, we had to actually register uh, a domain for this for this fake uh, account that we that we <laughs> end up showing in the app. So we had to register. Like appleseedstudios.ca, I think it is. Uh, yeah. So now we have that registered just so that we can <laughs> fulfill the requirement to be on the I, Apple I'm store. surprised they didn't say, we want to have you, but we need you to take this off. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, it was just, oh, as long as you own the domain, you're, you're good. And we, yeah. So we, we snapped up the domain. That's there you go. hilarious. <laughs> the other app that y'all are working on is Mercury Weather which is yes. a, a pretty full-featured weather app for iPhone, iPad, and Apple Watch. Uh, people who used and loved uh, Weatherline are going to, uh, mm-hmm. I think, really dig this because y'all use a similar uh, interface to show weather over time mm-hmm. or uh, daily forecast. I think weather apps in particular are one of those categories that people are very picky about, right? They want mm-hmm. things mm-hmm. just their way, so... How did you decide to get into uh, this category, and how has it gone? Yeah, no, I think you're 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 totally right. It's something people are very opinionated about. It's sort of like I think it's weather apps and to do lists, and there's sort of this category yeah. of apps where people people want things in a particular way, and either they love the app or they hate it. Uh, but for us, that was pretty much where it came. Why we started building Mercury, and you you mentioned Weatherline. Um, so Kai, both Kai and I, we always liked that like way of displaying weather. We always used different apps that had a line chart so that you could really see the ups and downs of the week or ups and downs of the day so that you can see clearly when will it be the warmest and what are the peak temperatures and those things. Um, so before Weatherline, we had also used an Australian app. Um, and that one had gone away. Um, that one had been sunsetted. And then... Weatherline was also going away, and this time we felt like, okay, we we really like this way of viewing weather. It seems very intuitive for us, so we figured this time we don't want the app to uh, to go away. So for people who don't know, Weatherline was uh, shut down, I think, in early last early last year. Um, I think in April last year, 
Um, so then we thought, okay, we want a new weather app and we tried different apps and uh, we couldn't find one that just displayed the data like we wanted it to. Uh, so that's where we thought, okay, if if there's nothing else that we are busy with over the summer from Apple's, uh, Apple's announcement at DubDub uh, 2020, 2022, we thought this should be our project. Uh, so I think even before DubDub, um, we started looking into just different ways that we wanted to display data and we started looking at some different API endpoints. Um, but we were having pretty strong expectations that Apple would release WeatherKit. And then they did also end up releasing Swift Charts. So once all of those things were announced and there was something else that we felt like, we didn't feel like there was another app that we really wanted to build, that we were burning to build over the summer. So we thought, okay, this should just be our Playgrounds app. We will build this this weather app so we can use it and also have an opportunity and sort of an excuse to play with all the latest Swift UI features and all the latest SDKs. And it's always it's always fun when Apple releases, like come June every year, I'd love to be able to just like create a new project so that we can start using all the latest things. So mm-hmm. uh, yeah. Could you talk a little bit about Swift charts? You've mentioned it a couple of times for people who aren't familiar with it. Could mm. you give an outline of that? Yeah, um, so Swift Charts is a component um, by Apple where you can create you can create different charts uh, with different type of different type of point charts um, or different type of layouts. So it's basically this part of the framework where you can create um, you can feed it data. You can decide what type of how you want to display things. You want to have a bar chart or if you want to have a point chart, and um, it's very flexible in that way that you can you can use it and sort of combine different charts as well. So in Mercury, what we did was to have a line chart in combination with point charts um, that display sort of the weather information along this line. And now we have sort of adopted that one, sorry, adapted that one. Um, So we have a combination of Swift charts in the app now and then our own sort of overlays because we did notice some performance hits for widgets um, with the charts in the past. So we ended up sort of changing something. So we use some parts of charts and some parts are our own. But that is something that's been improved as well at DubDub this year. Well, it is a delightful little weather app that gives you a lot of information in one screen. Thank you. I like the... um, I like the, like I said, kind of the whimsy of it, but also just the, it's dense in terms of giving you a lot of information, but it doesn't feel dense, so. Yeah, yeah, and we we sort of been trying to not cover it with too much information. We really want it to be glanceable. Um, There's always uh, people sort of sending, sending us messages asking for a particular data source that they want to see, that, or not the data source, like a specific data point they might want to see that's not there. Yeah, like surf or something like, yeah, I get it. Yeah, or they want to see maybe the hourly wind or the hourly UV. So we are planning on like adding one configurable label that people can decide, but we have been generally very intentional with not displaying everything up front because we don't want to clutter it. We don't want to... We don't think everyone cares about all the details, so uh, we want to have something that sort of meets that meets that uh, balance as well. Well, one of the things, like Steven said, I feel like weather apps are a great playground for developers to explore user interface. And, yeah, yeah. You know, they're all using the same data, but they don't look the same, and I yes. like that. And that was a thing that came like, or I think Orbit is a very nice looking app, but it's it's sort of meant to get out of your way. Uh, it's nothing. You, you're not gonna sit and stare at 
hopefully you're not going to sit and stare at your timers or look at your dashboard all day in a time tracking app. But with Mercury, we felt like we really wanted to so scratch that itch of creating something beautiful and really explore what we can do from a design perspective. Um, because I, I think I am sort of crossing those boundaries of like working on development and design. So I really wanted to get a lot, get an app that really showed that and an app where we could really, both my partner and I could really like make something that looks pretty. So yeah, a weather app I think is great for that because there's so many, so many ways of visualizing weather, right? It can be with colors or the way you display it and all those things are just very fun too. And then you've got the apps, but you're also doing contract work. Mm-hmm. And how do you balance between those two? <laughs> That's a great question. Um, I think this is like a constant, a constant problem. I think for people who work on many things in general, like either it's like multiple apps of your own or it's work and client. Um, but I think for us, what we what we've been ending up doing is to always at some point work on eighty percent one core thing and 20% on other things. So it can be, it can it can change. So sometimes it's 80% on client project on on a bigger client project and 20% on our own things and then maybe when we don't have uh, when the client project is either in like a testing phase or a beta phase we might change that. So it might be 20% on the client project and then 80% on our own things. Um we first thought that we would do like a 50-50 split but we found that uh, that 80-20 has actually worked out really well because we do have one focus um, at any time. And it almost feels like when we have 80% and work 80% in a project, it almost feels like you get 100% out of it because you know that it is 80% and you're going to limit it to some... Like You do have some limits in how much time you spend on it. But therefore you put a lot of focus on that time that you spend on that 80%. So it almost feels like it ends up feeling like you're more productive during that 80% time. And then I think in terms of like the 20% time on the other projects, if you know that it's only 20%, you're going to have the same attitude. You're going to really try to focus and make sure that you uh, like get out everything out of that time. And then it mm-hmm. almost feels like you actually get 30% work. Yeah, (laughs) there's also kind of a magic to the 80-20, the Pareto principle. I don't know if you've ever heard of that before, but it it really works. Like where you look at 20 versus 80, like often you make 80% of your income off 20% of the work and you got to find that and drill in on it. And uh, I was also thinking about like 37 signals and the way they only work four days during the summer, but they still manage to get the same amount of work done. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, I do think it like gives you like a sense of urgency. We're like, okay, yeah. I only have eighty percent of the time, yeah, but exactly. I still need to get this stuff done. Yes, yeah, exactly. And then you feel, I think, pretty, pretty, sad, pretty happy that you you got so much done, even if it was only eighty percent. And then you just kind of pick what the eighty twenty is. How often do you switch? I mean, you know, is it like daily, weekly, monthly? Uh, no, I would say it's probably uh, it's about monthly. Like we don't have any strict rule around it but it sort of falls naturally um based on where we are in the different parts of the project um yeah so like for example last year you said in the summer we're gonna build a weather app and mercury weather was the 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 result of that and that was probably the 80 for two or three months 
Yeah, yeah, exactly. I think during when we were working on orbit, that was the same, like during that uh, bigger period, like that first period where we really want to get it out. Um, it was the same. We worked uh, probably at least at least 80 for a while there. And then sometimes it might be a client project that gets the 80. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And um, I think it's that is also, it depends a lot on like the stage that the project is in. I think if you, if we have a, a pro, if we work on a project that has where we work closely with the rest of the team and there might be something that we are working on together, let's say we are waiting for some APIs or we are waiting for um, like a test phase where they want to gather feedback from users, then that is the perfect time to sort of change that balance. I want to talk a little bit about some of the work you do in the developer community. I know looking through your, uh, your Mastodon account and other things that you uh, not only take on some speaking gigs, but you have mm. a program called Core Coffee you're a part of. But give people a little bit of background about kind of what developer community work is and then how how you go about that. Yeah, um, I think it's nothing... There's not like rigid system to what it is. Uh, and I think that's the cool thing. You can sort of be as involved and help out the community as much as you can. And for me, like being part of the community has never really felt like work or like a, like a role in that sense. It's always been, really, honestly, like I just think, I mentioned it before that like once I, once I got into software development and the Apple Apple world, I just wanted to be as immersed in it as possible. Uh, and I like from a personal perspective, I just think it's really fun to chat with people about everything I do, everything they do on a day, like on a regular basis. Um, so a big thing, big reason why I got involved was, um, was because I wanted to just have people to chat with, chat to about those things. And especially after moving, you mentioned core coffee, core coffee is, uh, the meetup that Kai and I are running, mostly in Vancouver, um, but it's also sort of moved online. So we have an online component. And that was something that sort of started because we were new to city and we wanted to, we knew that there were developers around. So we wanted to uh, get to know them and have, have people who have common interests with us. But the meetups that were on at that time were not very frequent. It happened about every five months or so. And that is a really hard way of getting to know someone in a new city and actually start to like get friends. Uh, so we sort of thought, okay, let's just make something super easy. Let's start with Core Coffee. Uh, it's a coffee shop meetup where we set a location and we go there and drink coffee and hopefully other developers will show up. Uh, but worst case, because like since it's both, since it's the two of us, we felt like worst case, we just go to a coffee shop and have coffee. Uh, it turned out to be more bigger than that. It wasn't just the two of us. Uh, I think on our first meetup, we had 15 to 20 people. And they were all local developers in Vancouver. And many of them hadn't met each other before or didn't know of each other. But now they, a lot of them are regulars and they come every time. And they uh, also like hang out and chat and have like conversations about what they're doing on outside of core coffee and i think for us like pretty much everyone we know in vancouver we met somewhat through meetups so that's sort of the the personal side of why i thought it was something i wanted to do but i saw sort of the strength of community and of sort of of the uh, ios community early on 
And I think the thing that got me involved, like interested and knowing about meetups in the first place was when I was living in Australia. When I started learning iOS development, there was this iOS meetup. Um, and I think from like a beginner's perspective, it was great to be able to go to this place where there were people who were as enthusiastic, if not like, if not more about those very specific things. And I think that is really really cool to see that there are people who care as much as you do about something Hmm. and you can see sort of like you can see it a lot at uh, conferences you know after you go back from WWDC you have this sort of energy and you feel so excited to get started working because you've been talking to all those people about the cool things they're working on or you talked about frameworks and thought of ideas of how you can use them and I'm, I'm sort of feel like meetups has a little bit of that but like a mini version and it's always great to just meet people and get sort of motivated by each other and also see how they work. It's not, I think for me, when I went to this first meetup in, in Australia a, a, a long time ago now, I started realizing that that was sort of when I realized that there, even if you work as a developer, so many people are passionate about the overall app. It's not just the programming bit. They are very passionate about uh, building something that people love or designing something that's beautiful. And I really, then I realized that like on Apple, I think we, it's very unique as Apple developers that people are very passionate of how the platform works in general and how you are creating things that are just accessible for everyone and uh, beautiful and great user experience for everyone. Yeah, I mean, I really think, and we're social species, right? Uh, you can mm-hmm. only get so far on your own. You need to have other people to connect with to make it work. Yeah, yeah. And it just makes it feel a lot less like work. It just actually makes you feel like it's something you do for fun because you're passionate and everyone else enjoys talking about what you're doing. Um, But also it can be validate. It can validate what you're doing as well. Like you might have been working on something for a long time and then you chat with someone and you realize that they are also excited about it or you realize that uh, or you can talk about the problem that you have and they have had the same problem. And just like knowing where other people are in their journey and learning from each other is really something that comes out in those meetups. This episode of the Mac Power Users is brought to you by Indeed. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide using Indeed to hire great talent fast. Just go to indeed.com MPU. What's a game where no one wins? The waiting game. When it comes to hiring, you don't wait for great talent to find you. Find them first with Indeed. When you're hiring, you need Indeed. Indeed is the hiring platform where you can attract, interview, and hire all in one place. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, you can use their powerful hiring platform that can help you do it all. Indeed streamlines hiring with powerful tools that Find you matched candidates. With Instant Match, over 80% of employers get quality candidates whose resumes on Indeed matches their job description the moment they sponsor a job. According to Indeed data, US Indeed's hiring platform really is great because it matches you with quality candidates instantly. Even better, Indeed is the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements making it an unbelievably powerful hiring platform, delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. 
Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job posts at Indeed.com slash MPU. Now that offer is good for a limited time, so claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash MPU. That's I-N-D-E-E-D dot com slash MPU to support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And our thanks to Indeed for their support of the Mac Power users and all of Relay FM. We have been teasing this long enough on this episode, but you were fortunate enough to try out uh, the Apple Vision Pro at WWDC. Uh, quite a few people mm-hmm. uh, have went through this demo and and have talked about it, but we're really interested in hearing your details and impressions, uh, not only from the user perspective, but also the design and development perspective, mm-hmm. because alongside this product launch, we're also getting a new operating system and there'll be a new SDK that's not out as we record this, but I think it's mm-hmm. due out soon. So how how was it, you know, putting... Stepping into the future, <laughs> yeah. Um, I it, it was it was so much fun. I think um, I was very fortunate to be like one of the very few selected. I think there were quite a lot of people from media who got to try on the uh, try on Vision Pro, but I think I don't, I, I don't know many developers who got to try it. So it was it was very different from like any other WWDC experience that I got because I sort of uh, got the the briefing and the experience that people in the media normally often would get. Um, and it's something I haven't been exposed to before. So it felt very, it felt very Apple-like. Uh, I wasn't really sure what I was doing on the day. I was told I was pretty much instructed to be at a place. Uh, and then I got there and then I was brought on this golf cart and they drove me around uh, Apple's campus. Um, and then I got to this separate area that I think many people had speculated on. I don't know if you um, if you saw a lot of sort of aerial shots. They, people had speculated that Apple put up this separate tent, this separate building on, on their campus. Um, but we didn't really know what this would be about. Um, but yeah, I was driven to this, to this place um, where they had the hands-on experience. Um, because all developers got to see the got to see the device at Steve Jobs Theater. But this was a separate area where they basically had popped up something that looked very like it looked very similar to like the inside of a modern Apple store. Mm-hmm. Uh, it had this really nice sort of wooden touch and wooden panels around. And it felt like, honestly, like I know people have mentioned this as being a tent, but it felt better insulated than many houses in California. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Apple's temporary structure is better than people's permanent yeah. structures. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, maybe they should go into like uh, the building, uh, the housing housing business, uh, because yeah, it was very impressive and like it felt like this huge structure. Um, so yeah, I got in um, and I got to um, I got to scan, do a face scan, um, so that they knew what the vision, they knew uh, how to configure the Vision Pro and sort of um, the way it worked is that I. I didn't have like any, I have a, um, I wear glasses, but I didn't provide them with like what prescription I have beforehand, but um, they basically want to create like a personal 
set up a device personally for you that fits really well. And I think that mm-hmm. was why it was so limited in the demos because uh, you really want to have the lights, the right sort of light seal around your around the device and around your face. And then you want something for your prescription if you have prescription glasses. Um, so there was that sort of setup process at first where this uh, I was scanning my face similar to how you scan your face ID. Um, and then I got into another room where uh, they... Uh, they didn't ask for my prescription. They just asked for my glasses. And then they were able to scan to see what my prescription was. And then I, uh, that was pretty much it in terms of like the setup of the device that I was part of. Then I was waiting for them to configure everything. Yeah, I love that they have a glass scanner in the next room. They're like, oh, yeah, well, we got it. Just give us your glasses. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I thought so too. It felt like such an Apple experience because I was thinking, oh, maybe they need to know my prescription. And I had gotten my eyes checked recently, so I knew I had it. But I was also a bit like, oh, what if I get there and they check my prescription? And they're like, no. This is too bad. Like we can't, we can't configure the device for you. This isn't gonna work. But no, it was such a seamless experience. Just go there, scan your face, give your glasses away, and then, uh, then I was waiting uh, in this waiting area. And then they have those sort of dedicated rooms. You can't see anyone else trying on the device uh, because it's meant to sort of mimic a living room setup. Um, and I think you also, you probably don't want that many people to walk around, but you also want a bit more of. Uh, personal experience so everyone had their own separate rooms so once they had configured a device for me i got into this room that looked like a like a setup like a living room um and then the device was just there ready for me uh, with the prescription lenses that i would need Uh, but there was nothing for me to like put together at all which i think makes sense uh it was very seamless then i got to try the headset um and it was very like the setup process was super intuitive i think that is something that i was again it felt very apple like you just have to it's very few steps to get the device up and running um so the way it worked was i put it on make sure it's adjusted to be comfortable in my head um and then there's this screen where i have dots showing up on the screen and i have to look at them in a circle Again, sort of similar to the face ID scan, but um, instead of moving my face, I moved my pupils to actually look at those different spots. And then once that was done, it sort of directly went into this hello. Um, sorry, first I scanned my hands, then it went into a hello screen, and it had this 3D hello text in the same way as you have the hello text on a Mac or on a phone. Mm-hmm. It was just floating there in space. And I thought that was really cool how it was just the same type of introduction to the product that you would have on other Apple Apple platforms. Have you used many uh, virtual reality or headset-related devices in the past, is this, or is this new for you? Um, no, I, I have actually used, um, especially the Oculus, quite a lot. Um, we, I probably use it, for a long time I used it like three to five, three to four times a week, but only for games, mostly for mini-golf. Which is it's a very different experience, and that's pretty much what I like. That's the interesting thing. It is, I think, it's easy to start comparing it to other devices in terms of like the comfort and the resolution of the display and those things. But in terms of the software and the experience, it's completely different. Uh, I think Vision Pro is, I mean, it's, it is spatial computing. It's a platform in itself, 
was something like um, the other headsets I've been wearing are more a device I use for a particular thing, like playing mm. games. It's a little bit more like a toy, and I wouldn't it wouldn't be something that I feel like I could be using eight hours a day. Was the Vision Pro felt very much like a computing platform in the same way as my Mac or my iPad is a platform that I'm using uh, on a like eight to ten hours a day. It is interesting that Apple is pitching it as a a, a spatial computer, right? A general computer that you can use for entertainment, or you can use for productivity. And I know from what I've heard from other people that the demos that they did at WC kind of show uh, a bit of of both, which I think is important, mm-hmm. right? To help distinguish it from those those other products, like you said. Yeah, yeah. And I think they took a very, like, it is a very interesting angle. I think before seeing the introduction, before trying it on, I was sort of, I felt like gaming has to be a thing. Like, it has to be a big part of the introduction. But they didn't really mention gaming. And I think that was, it makes a lot of sense because it is, now it's not, it's it isn't comparable to that device. Sure, you might be able to play games, but even the games you would play are very different. And I really like that. I feel like I'm coming as a developer, I'm coming to the platform from a different perspective because it's not it's not a VR headset with controllers. Mm-hmm. It is an AR ex, an AR uh, headset or an AR experience where I do everything with my hands. And it's a very different interface, and I think you can create cool experiences and cool games for that but you sort of had to rethink instead of just creating what's available on other platforms you treat it as a separate platform and think of it as in terms of like how can we make vision pro apps that are amazing for this way of of interacting with apps it's kind of interesting when you think of it like similar to the way apple makes its screens and its displays because Gaming monitors focus on really high refresh rates and mm-hmm. not necessarily particularly high resolution, whereas Apple monitors always are much more focused on high resolution to give you very crisp text and an easy ways to do your work. But that that doesn't really lend itself to gaming. It's almost like they made a similar set of decisions with this product. Yeah, I think like you, you mentioned text, and I think that's it's really cool how I felt like everything just looked so good it didn't feel like i compromised in that way everything felt very like often with text in on other headsets just to compare it from like a tech perspective i think often you see you can there are two problems one you can see pixels quite uh, on many of them and the other thing is that you can if you move your head it gets a bit distorted and you feel like you're not focusing on it and you have to sit in this very particular way to see it but with vision pro they have really worked on the text uh, on the text being illegible and being something that's comfortable to read so for me it felt like i, I would say it felt as comfortable as when i read the text on my mac uh, on my external monitor which is like arm's length in front of me yeah see that that to me is a huge question because I'm like, that's what I'm looking for, right? I mean, I want to mm-hmm. work with this thing. I don't, I mean, gaming does sound like fun, but I'm mm-hmm. not a huge gamer. And, but I have tried the Oculus and the other, some of the other competitors where I think it would be really fun to create a, a virtual context, like be in the mountains, you yeah. know, be in yeah. Machu Picchu. Uh, I really, you know, the way the human brain works, I think that would be a really easy way to help yourself work better. 
I, I agree. I haven't listened to the latest episode of Cortex, but I know that CGP Grey, he usually listens to thunderstorm noises. And this would be a very different, uh, like, different way of immersing yourself if you could Inside have, like, the, the storm around you. Yeah. <laughs> well, I mean, it's, you said it, but we were, we were with the dark noise developer. We're up there who's talking about that. Like, could he create a thunderstorm environment and maybe you've got, you know, a sales presentation or a keynote or a or mm-hmm. a spreadsheet or whatever, but you, you're doing it in a space that lets you associate that work with that space, even though you're, you know, in a cramped apartment or mm-hmm. a cubicle or whatever. And it's that to make that work, it has to be really good. And that that's the big question I always have for every person I talk to. Is it believable when you're inside it? Do you get mm-hmm. a headache reading that text? That kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so to to get back to like the experience, I think I, I'm very impressed, but also slightly <laughs> concerned of how easy you can trick your brain. Um, because you do really, like as soon as something is immersed in the, in the world that you're in, you, you start to feel like it is very realistically there. There there was this one experience where there was this sort of portal opening up uh, on one of the walls. And I started feeling like the big the room was much bigger. And I was walking pretty close to the wall because it just felt like the room was all of a sudden feeling a lot more airy and a lot bigger. Um, it's very interesting from that perspective. So like, yeah, I think in terms of like how immersive it is, there was also this... Um, this landscape and I got to sit around this lakefront uh, with those mountains in the background and they also have the way they work with spatial audio I think uh, there's just probably something I think could be work really well for dark noise and for Charlie I think the the, no- the noise with the spatial audio is just so realistic in terms of where it comes from directionally um, you really it had this sort of bird shippering in the background and I could sort of he- hear where the different birds were in this VR or in this uh, like at this lakefront, and I thought that was a really cool combination. That it's not just it's not just the things you see; it's also how well it works with the spatial audio. Well, that's encouraging. <laughs> but I do, I do, I am curious as well. Like from a spaces development perspective, um, as I understand, the full space is something that is a separate. It is a separate mode, and you can't then it's sort of, it's very single app focused. So if you go into, if you are a third party app developer and you create a full space which has an immersive world around you, you're limited to using the windows and the apps, uh, the, the windows that your app is providing and you can't really bring other apps in. So if you want to be having multiple apps, you have to be in Apple's full space. Um, but that's not to say that there might be like ways of adding that eventually, or even even using something like volume. So there are three different ways, like three different type of apps that developers can build. So the volume version might be something that can add a similar feel um, as well. So I'm 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 very curious. Like I'm I'm excited for the SDK to come out so we can actually start uh, start building things and exploring how the, all of that works. But I did want to touch on that. I think. Um, one thing I was super excited about when I started try- when I got to try it on was how well all the different apps fitted into this space. Um, because I think I was a bit hesitant when I knew that iPad apps would be running on Vision Pro. I didn't know how that would fit in and how well it would feel 
like it, it's part like it's 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 how the device is meant to be used because yeah like would it be in- intrusive to have yeah. an ipad app on your yeah wall? yeah mm. like is it is it there because of necessity and you want to have the app and it's better than not having the app or is it actually providing a great experience for vision pro and it it honestly like it felt right at home and it felt like using ipad apps and using the window-based apps even if they weren't like fully immersing you or they didn't have 3d objects just having the apps themselves was a really like i I could really see use cases for it and it felt so fitting into like just bringing those apps onto bigger like bigger surfaces in your space and placing them all around you and being able to have like multiple ipad apps at the same time and i think we uh my kai and i were talking about this that's like it feels like Apple's been trying to solve multitasking for iPad for a long time. And this actually, to some extent, solves multitasking, even if it's not on an iPad. But you <laughs> <laughs> It's like a stage manager in a whole new dimension, really. Yeah, yeah. Um, yes, I think that was, it, that was super encouraging because I feel like Mercury and Orbit, they would actually fit in as, as window apps. Um, and I think that's a really good introduction as a developer that you can port your you can use your swift ui knowledge and you can port your swift ui apps and make them available and then you can sort of start dipping your toes in the other parts of uh, of the framework so then you can start adding maybe some more 3d objects with reality kit or you can start uh, then going into building fully immersive things with ar kit where you're detecting where the walls are and those type of things um so that was super uh like super cool i have a promotion for you this one's for free right <laughs> All right. All All your subscribers, send them a little plastic piggy bank and they can put it on the shelf in their room (laughs) and then they can put the the orbit timer right above the piggy bank. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I do like that. The the, the cool thing is that you can have things just floating around like uh, you like with with orbit, you you don't look at it all the time, but just having it there in the corner over the piggy bank. What about that experience, though, of mixing? reality with this virtual overlay yeah how real did it feel uh, did you notice like a delay if you shook your head i mean how yeah how close was it to real for you it it was very impressive like everything felt so naturally like it, it fitted in very naturally um i obviously like knew what the difference was because they they do something where like the the world that you see through the camera feed felt slightly less saturated um, versus the windows, which felt a bit more sort of poppy. Um, so you can sort of see the difference. And it, I think that makes sense. Like if you would open Safari, you don't want it to work like an e- e-ink tablet, right? You don't want it to get get dark if your room around you is a bit dark. You want the windows to light up a bit. Uh, and it looked great that way. And one thing that they have worked on so much, I think, is how materials and lighting and shadows blend together. So a lot of the apps uh, that you have are having this sort of glassy material and it fits, it makes it fit so well into your room because you can see some of the colors of the objects behind it or um, the same with like lighting. You can really see how the light of your ceiling light is being cast on the windows and then how the shadow works with that. It just felt like they had really nailed uh, how well things were reflecting on the like on the surrounding area. It felt like it wasn't just a square plopped in front of you. It was 
something that was part of your environment. So yeah, that, that part is really cool. In terms of things moving, um, I think the fact that they anchor everything and you can move around felt very natural to me uh, in the same way as if I place a cup on my table, um, it stays where I put it. And one thing that I thought was really cool, which I, I didn't, I'd, it was something I did very naturally. Once I started interacting with elements, I could move them around. And I very like instinctively started feeling confident in where the object was. So in the same way as I move something in the real world, let's say I pick my cup up, I move it around with my right hand, then I wouldn't need to look at my hand. I know where the object is and I can look in that direction. And if I look back, I'm confident I know where the cup was. Um, and it was the same with the windows here. If I picked a window and I moved it around and then turned my head in another direction so I couldn't see the window anymore, I was very confident that the object worked almost like a physical object and that I, I still had it in my hand. I was able to look back and it was exactly where I expected it to be. Um, and that yeah. was something that's, that, like, that, that, that really sort of blew me away in terms of like how smooth the interaction model works. Because I tried with the Oculus 2. I, had, I bought an Oculus 1, then I tried an mm -hmm. Oculus 2. And I, I was looking, can I work in this space? And mm -hmm. one of my problems was I could not reliably depend on things to be where I put them in virtual space. Like if you move your body, it doesn't necessarily stick. The location doesn't stick. And mm -hmm. I guess probably because Apple wants this to be more of an AR than a VR product, mm -hmm. they probably had to put a lot of more effort into making sure you don't have that problem. I've had that experience with um, Quest 1. I think it's a problem in Quest 2 as well, that sometimes things just freeze around you or they slightly glitch and move like half a meter to the left or half a meter to the right. And that completely throws you away and completely takes, takes, takes away the immersion, but also can really lead to you feeling motion sick. And I think the fact that everything is so well anchored and also the fact that you I mean the, you would use the the quest a bit different you would normally have like full immersion or in, in a VR space but the fact that in the Vision Pro that you actually see your surrounding that really helps you not feel motion sick and it makes it feel a lot more comfortable to like be there and have like non non real objects around you but it, it it blends really nicely but that also raises the bar because it's rendering the outside. So if you render the outside and that blurs or jumps like glitches in the, in the matrix, that's <laughs> really going to make your brain want to like, you know, lose your lunch because I feel like yeah. that's even yeah. more likely to cause illness. So that it's like, it raises the stakes for them. But this is where, yeah. you know, they have a chip in there. It reminds me of when the iPhone first premiered and they, like when you would scroll on it in Safari, it would have a grid that it would render. It it, mm -hmm. it always wanted to scroll, even if it couldn't keep up. I feel like they're they're doing a similar thing with that twelve millisecond um, delay. That it's always going to render va virtually real time, even if it does a poor job. Uh, anything to keep people from getting sick while wearing their mm -hmm. their product. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I think that is something. It feels like they. Apple would really be focusing on because I think they care a lot about you both being able to use this for so long, but I think they're also very aware. They have focused so much on accessibility in general on all of their products. And I think to some extent, this is touching a bit on the accessibility or the comfort of using something. Um, so I get the impression that they have really made sure that like, 
you don't get those uncomfortable experiences as you're using it. Yeah. As a developer, what gets you excited about a new computing platform called spatial computing? <laughs> yeah, it's, I think there are multiple things. I think the thing that made me, I was excited before the announcement because, you know, anything new and shiny is exciting. Uh, you want to jump on that. But once I saw it and I saw the developer story, how we can we can sort of use the technology that we already have used on the other platforms and how it felt like it was, it feels like this device is sort of built with Apple platform developers, like for, for Apple platform developers to build for. We don't, I don't feel like we have to directly jump on and learn games engines for it to be something we can build apps for it. Like mm-hmm. we have Swift UI, we have Reality Kit, we have AR Kit. If we want, we can start adding Unity stuff. But that that's something that is supported. But it's not really. It didn't feel like a requirement in any way. So I think that is exciting that we can. It doesn't feel like I would compromise in like not learning more Swift UI because I know that every time we learn development for Vision OS, we are learning more Swift UI, which we can also adapt and use for all of the other platforms um so like from a developer perspective that's super exciting like from a story perspective i think in terms of like what to build um i like that it has those different type of components i can build the apps that i'm already familiar with but then i can start to really think of new ways of interacting with this and again because it is a platform in itself we are not locked in to what this should be um I get the impression that Apple sort of want us to start figuring out how we can make this a great platform and how we can make like different type of experiences and sort of gaming experiences or like meditation experiences, like those type of just how we can build sort of worlds and interactions for this. Apple's one of those companies that very often you can look back and see where they've been building toward, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Like Swift and Swift UI building up to this moment, uh, mm-hmm. making iPad apps where they are resizable. Yeah, that's really important for multitasking mm-hmm. on the iPad. But in a few years from now, it's also going to be really important where you can run them <laughs> on top of Vision OS. Yeah, yeah. It's, I, I always love that when it's like, if you've been a good platform citizen and have kept up with, with the latest frameworks and the latest releases, you you tend to like get something additional out of that. And I think that's always... It's always nice where it's like if you were an early adapt early adopter for Swift UI, then you you're you're sort of set and you can get started for Vision OS. Mm-hmm. If there's one thing I was a little disappointed with looking back is their use case scenarios. There was nothing new in there. Like the stuff they were doing. Mm-hmm. Like I've been trying to work on one of these things for three or four years now, mm-hmm. and never successfully doing. Now they're they're coming up saying we can do this now but that's not a new thing i mm-hmm. thought with all the time they'd spent with it they would come up with some uses that were truly unique and they didn't really but i also kind of do feel like this is the kind of thing you let the people who make apps for loose on it and see what happens because most of the best apps that came up to the iphone were not from apple i would mm-hmm. i mean apple makes great apps but i would almost say all of the innovative apps were kooky ideas somebody in the world had and they made an app for it and it turned into something great and i -hmm. really that's the part of this that i think that i'm almost looking forward to most is 
this spatial computing isn't just a word. It, it's the idea of building mm-hmm. an application in 3D space. Mm-hmm. Well, what does that change? And what can we do now with these devices that we couldn't before? And that's the part we haven't really seen the answer to yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm curious. Um, so did you use, um, you mentioned you've been trying to get work done in VR before. Did you use the Quest 2 or was that the Quest Pro? Uh, I used the Quest the one that's currently, I used, I bought the first one and, the, and I borrowed a friend's of the current one. And I don't know if it's Quest Pro or Quest 2. Okay. Did you, how did you find like app availability and like the things? Well, there is need? an app. I don't remember the name. I've written about it. The way you can download and it links to your Mac and it puts mm-hmm. your Mac screen in virtual yeah. space. That's what I used. Yeah. But, yeah, but okay. the, the resolution wasn't good enough and the motion was too hard yeah. or it was too janky. So I just kept getting sick. So I stopped <laughs> doing it. But, and I could see the pixels. So that, I mean, <laughs> but I'm a very weirdo. I mean, I don't think there's a lot of people who are really into the idea, oh, I want to write in space or whatever. But I, I do think that there are some of us out there that would like this, that this device, Apple's mm-hmm. making may actually be able to do it. Yeah. And I think from like a user perspective, what I really love is that this is part of the Apple ecosystem. And I think there will be a lot of the productivity apps that you use on all the other platforms can be available. And like from a developer perspective, I think every people, especially like indie developers, would jump on this very quickly. I think yeah. Apple, like from what I have gathered, like talking to people at meetups. Apple developers are just super enthusiastic to start learning, start building something new. And I, I think I haven't, I haven't spoken to anyone who hasn't been interested in building something. And well, it was really that, fun because yeah. I've been going to WWDC for years, but there was a special energy this year yeah, and, yeah, and yeah. it was from developers and the, the, each one of them, you'd mentioned, you know, Vision Pro and their eyes would glaze mm-hmm. over and you could see them inside running, you know, the variables, figuring out what they could make. And, you know, these people can't wait to get their hands on it. So mm-hmm. I, I think we're going to have, you know, they called it a gold rush at one point. I'm not sure if that's the right word, but I feel like we are going to have a real explosion of innovative applications in the first year this thing goes on sale. This episode of MPU is brought to you by Clean My Mac X. Junk files, hung processes, and malicious apps can slow down even the latest, greatest Macs. Maintaining your Apple machine, whether old or new, is essential for smooth macOS performance. And Clean My Mac X is the tool for this because it's an all-in-one maintenance suite that takes care of old junk, faulty apps, malware, and more. All of this is done in an efficient, aesthetically pleasing, hassle-free way. Clean My Mac X is a beautiful application. It packs all of these tools into one interface that's easy to understand and easy to use. And with the app's menu bar item, you can monitor your Mac's health, CPU load, and more. With nearly 30 million downloads and 15 years of experience, this app is a must-try for any macOS user. And look, we're coming off of WWDC. A lot of us are going to be using betas this summer. And as Apple continues to pack Macs with more innovative features, Clean My Mac X ensures that your hardware remains healthy and running at peak performance. So whether you're a new Mac user looking to get more life out of an old Mac or just knowing that you're going to be upgrading an OS later this year, is a great time to check out Clean My Mac X. I have it running on my MacBook Pro and it's really a useful tool. All MPU listeners get 5% off 
check out the link in the show notes or go to macpaw.app slash MPU. That's M-A-C-P-A-W dot A-P-P. So macpaw.app slash MPU or check out the link in the show notes. Our thanks to Clean My Mac X for their support of this show. Malin, we like to end the show usually talking about some of your favorite apps and services uh, and things that just bring you joy and delight. Drop a few on us. What 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 is yeah. making you smile these days in your technology? <laughs> yeah, for sure. Um, this I had I had a, a bit of a list and I tried to narrow it down to four things. Um, one thing is um, a Git client that I use every day uh, called Git Fork, um, or it's just called Fork. It's a little bit hard to Google for sometimes uh, because in Git, uh, when you're using Git, you also use forks. Um, but it's called Fork. Um, it's this really nice, really intuitive Git client for the Mac uh, built by a um, a couple. And I think one of them builds the Windows app, one of them builds the Mac app. Um, so I, I always love to support smaller teams as well. So uh, that's a big one I feel like there's like a sitcom in that. Like she makes Windows apps, he makes <laughs> <Yeah>. Mac apps. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and the next one is uh, more on the design side. Uh, something I used, I mentioned before, uh, Procreate, uh, which I think is something many people probably have on on their iPad if they're interested in design. But I I hadn't really, I had used Procreate a lot on my iPad when I first bought the iPad and I used it mostly just like a sketch pad or like a pen and paper replacement. But lately when I actually picked up my iPad again and started creating uh, artwork, I needed to have um, a lot more, um, a lot more flexibility over it. Uh, And I started using things like layers and the sort of, um, the gesture they have gesture recognizers that you can uh if you start drawing a circle it actually fixes it so it is a perfectly like round circle similar to what you could use a vector tool for but you can use it all you can do it that all by hand so it's really nice at those things and it has like so many different brushes and so many different textures that you can add so you can really create a lot of different type of artworks just if you if you start using the more pro tools than rather than just a pen and paper, uh, so yeah, that that's a really cool app. I have an ad, I have a free add on for this one for Procreate because I feel like mm-hmm. everybody should have this app, even mm-hmm. if you're not an artist. Um, one of the great features in it is it makes a video of you yes. drawing, yeah, and it's fascinating afterwards if you sit and try and doodle something out, um, and then to see it it come back. So that's really fun. Another thing you can do with Procreate, if you're not good at drawing, is you can put an image underneath it and use it as a transparency and draw on top of it mm-hmm. and slowly get better at it. I, I just find that every person I know who has an Apple Pencil, and they're like, I don't know what to do with it. I'm like, get Procreate, spend 10 minutes learning what it can do, mm-hmm. and you'll find things for it. One of the things, the Max Barkey Labs members will know this, but I a lot of times will illustrate slides when I do a presentation. And I did them in Procreate for the longest time. And then one day, just for giggles, I mm-hmm. decided, well, rather than put the the finalized Procreate drawing in as my slide, I will put the video in. And uh, so you yeah. export the video of you drawing the little duck yeah. swimming in the water or whatever it is. And then when you click the button for the slide, then you can it, you can watch me drawing it as I talk about it, the thing. And I find it really engages the audience better. They like really get into it. So yeah, there's just a lot. Of, there's so much you can do with that app. I totally yeah. uh, am with you on this one. 
yeah, I think it's probably one of the core reasons many people buy iPads. Uh, yeah, really. Um, yeah, the next app is uh, an app called Lookup, um, which is a diction. It's by um, it's by an indie developer, Vedit. Um, it's a dictionary and a sort of study tool um, for for the English language. And I think um, I I really like how playful the app feels. It's very. It's put so much work into making it very delightful so every day he has a um he has a word of the day which is basically for you to start learning learning new words uh, and he has this custom artwork that he creates every day for every word of the day um and it's very it puts so much work into it and it's a really really nice app um and then um the way i use it lately is um as i'm reading a book if there are certain words that i wasn't familiar with and I look it up I create a fold uh, I create a collection for that book and then when I'm done reading the book I can use that to actually get uh, quizzes um, and actually improve my sort of score and try to get better and better at remembering different words yeah and I also had the pleasure of meeting its developer and WWC Mm. a few weeks ago very nice fellow and uh, my favorite kind of app small team this is a one-person app and just he he yeah. uh, he's the kind of guy that uh will paint the back of the fence if you know <laughs> yeah. what i mean yeah yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no he's amazing and like you can really see all the passion he puts in it uh through the app so it's yeah i want to give him a shout out too um and the last one i felt was fitting uh, i wanted to pick i wanted to pick uh, mac tracker which i assume you both might be familiar oh, with oh yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> mac tracker is uh used very often here at, at uh, yeah, Five Tokens headquarters. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, it's something that like I've been using for a long time to just look up uh, which year different Macs were introduced um, or today or yesterday when preparing for this, I uh, I didn't remember which uh, which one was my first uh, first Mac or I had to look up some, some years of where things were released and it's super, super helpful for that and there's mm-hmm. so much details in there. I feel like if they ever get to the point where they get beyond the headset and they're just like, oh, no, we're just going to implant the Mac, you know, in, in your brain, <laughs> Steven would say, that's fine, but I want Mac Tracker burned into the ROM. <laughs> I just right. want to be able to access it immediately. <laughs> I'm curious. I don't think I asked, are you two planning on getting the Vision Pro? Yeah, I, um, yeah, I think so. I, I don't think I could resist it. <laughs> yeah, I don't, yeah. I don't. I've already started laying the foundation in the Sparks household. Let's just <laughs> let's just put it that way. Yeah, yeah I uh, I forgot to mention it earlier, but Kai, when when Kai and I watched the keynotes and saw the price introduced, we looked at each other like, oh, maybe maybe we get one. When I came out of the demo and I tried it on, I was like going up to him and I'm like, we're getting two. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, somebody wrote me just the other day saying, well can I get one for me and my wife to share it? And I said, I think you will be, but I also think it's going to be a pain to switch because mm-hmm. it's got to be like rigged up for your face. So I don't know, like if you have glasses or if you have a big nose and she has a little nose. So mm-hmm. I, I do think there'll be something involved with that. I do hope yeah. though they they enable like software support for multiple users. Yeah, I I think you're right. Like it is, it is a lot of sort of setup. It's such a personal device, so I could imagine that's why it isn't having multiple accounts uh, support at this point. So I'm not sure, um, and I also think once you start using it, there are many things like watching movies that 
you might want to do with with more people or people as the same person want to use it mm-hmm. all the time. Uh, I'm not sure how it will work. Uh, I'm I'm very curious. Yeah, I think there's a lot of like new territory for that. Like, would you be next to your partner watching a movie, both wearing a headset at the same time, or wouldn't it make more sense just to watch it on a TV? I, I mean, I that kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah, I think for us, we it probably depends on the movies. Like, some some probably want to have like a complete immersion, but I do think it seems it seems a little bit strange to like watch a movie together when you're right next to each other. But if the experience is and I, I did try some some movies, and the experience is really good. So I I'm not surprised if it would be convincing enough. So we just always always watch movies that way. Yeah. So when they make that show about the Windows and the Mac developer couple, they we'll we'll call it the <laughs> app couple. By the way, I'm already I'm already workshopping this. I'm I'm <laughs> I, for it, man. Let's watch it. <laughs> yeah, but I think that would be a TV. I don't think that would be a headset thing because there wouldn't be a lot of like fancy effects in 3D. It'd be more about the relationship, guys. Hmm. Mm. Yeah, I'm just saying. I love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I, it, it is going to be interesting to see. I, I do think these things do evolve, but it's going to be interesting to see what happens when this comes out. And man, we really appreciate mm. you bringing your developer's perspective to the audience and sharing the experience and telling us all about it. Because uh, uh, you know, Stephen and I were we weren't quite special enough. I, I kept telling people, <laughs> I'm like that uncle that you invite to the wedding. <laughs> Only after a few other people have said no. No, <laughs> you know? come on. Uh, uh, no, but I, uh, yeah, I hope, hope both of you get to try it out soon because it was, yeah, it, it really feels like it. You you get how cool it is once you start using it. So, oh, I think we will get to try it on, but yeah. it may involve an exchange of currency. <laughs> <laughs> maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on. Yeah. Where where do people go to find you? Um yeah, so I think probably it's everyone's a bit split on where to go now, but so Mastodon I'm at Malin at Mastodon.social. Um and on Twitter, I, I also still post on Twitter. So that is Malin Sundberg. Just my first and last name, one word. That's probably the best best place. And we will put notes in the uh, the show notes here if you want to go check out Triple Glay Studios and have them yeah. make your next great app. And um, yeah. we also think everybody should go check out Orbit and Mercury Weather and all the great stuff you're working on. Yeah, and if anyone anyone has any, any feedback on either of the apps, feel free to send me a message as well. Well, I feel like you uh, have uh, you made a decision with Swift UI to invest in that, and it seems like that's paying off for you. We're even getting new platforms on it, so I yes. can't wait to see yes. what you guys make going forward. And and yeah. thanks again for coming on and sharing your story. I did forget to mention that. Can I just mention that uh, we are also working on the on the Mac apps? I figured this audience might be interested in that. Sure. We have yeah. a yeah. So for Mercury, we do have uh, Mac OS. Uh, version of the weather app uh, in progress and we're hoping to, ex- to release it in about a month um, together with this new trip forecast feature. Thank you to our sponsors, our friends at 1Password, Squarespace, Indeed, and CleanMyMacX. We are the Mac Power users. You can find us at relay.fm slash MPU. You can find the forums over at talk.macpowerusers.com. Uh, go check it out. Weigh in, let us know what you think, and otherwise we'll see you next time.